Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. Welcome to Polygamy, What Love Is This? I'm your host, Doris Hansen, and our ministry helps people to know that polygamy is generally a society where spiritual bullies take advantage of trusting members. And we help people leave polygamy, and we help them after they've left. You can give us a call on our toll-free number, 877-425-9993, for a private and confidential discussion of your situation and how we can help you. You can go to our website, shieldandrefuge.org, for more information about us. And if you would like to contact us about any of our shows or be a guest on our show, you can email us at email, <coughs> excuse me, at whatloveisthis.tv. <coughs> Audio versions of our program can be downloaded from our website's main page, or you can go to soundcloud.com slash whatloveisthis, and they're also available on iTunes podcast. And now, I would like to thank our regular returning co-host, former Bishop Earl Erskine. Thanks for having me, Doris. Appreciate it. And thank you again, again, and again for <laughs> wow. helping out with My these pleasure. shows each week. My pleasure. And last week we uh, finished part two of our review. Yes, amazing stuff. So we're going to start part three of our review of a book entitled Breaking Their Will. Uh, it was written by Janet Heimlich. It's Breaking Their Will, Shedding Light on Religious Cult Maltreatment and published by Prometheus Books. Uh, we ended our discussion last time kind of in the middle yeah. of the discussion about the silence of parents who are or the caregivers who actually enable religious leaders to abuse their children. Some parents just don't seem to want to know the truth. Some parents actually consider it a great blessing or a special privilege if the religious leader takes notice of their son or daughter. In fact, just a few days ago, a couple in the Canadian FLD polygamy group was sentenced after they had been found guilty of trafficking their 13-year-old daughter over international borders so that she could come, uh, they brought her down here to marry, become one of Warren Jeff's plural wives. <laughs> and, and the parents are involved in this. Many times when a parent discovers that there's been abuse, they often tell their child to just trust or to forgive or don't make waves. And the silence and the cooperation of the parents further enable and empower the abusers. The lack of support and protection <clears throat> only intensifies the damage to the victims to an even deeper and more painful level. She relates a story on page 196 where a daughter was being abused by the pastor of the church they attended. And the girl thought that she could turn to her mother for support and for help. But instead of helping her daughter, her mother was more worried about how this would affect the church's image. How often have we heard that in this yeah, culture? I have heard this. And so we Same quote thing. from page 196. Years <clears throat> later, Sarah <clears throat> summoned up the courage to tell her mother while the two were in a therapy session that she wanted to get church officials to fire her abuser. 
Sarah says she still hoped her mother would respond by saying, let's get him. It's horrible what happened to you. But instead, her mother's first reaction was, are you really sure you want to go public with this? Oh, that would just break her heart, <laughs> it would break wouldn't your it? Heart. And in polygamy groups, of course, there's always the fear that legal authorities will be contacted. And since polygamy is illegal, they can't risk a scandal. So mouths are kept shut. In America, we have the right to religious freedoms, and, and it's very precious, but no one's rights are superior to the rights of anyone else. Religious freedom was never meant to be freedom to abuse in the name of God, or freedom to take away the freedom of others, or to terrorize others. She writes further where a daughter was being raped repeatedly by her brothers, and they would wait uh, for her inside or outside the home, and if she locked her door, they'd crawl in through the window, and if they couldn't get in any other way, they'd take the door off the hinges. Um, and she she told her mother about it, but her mother offered no support whatsoever. In fact, she blamed her daughter for not fighting hard enough, for praying hard enough, and for not being forgiving enough. Finally, the sister did notify the authorities when she found out one of her brothers was molesting her four-year-old sister. This is a clear case, often repeated, of a parent refusing to protect her children. But of course, all the blame cannot be placed on only the parents. We have another quote from page 198. Yes, but to cast all the blame <coughs> onto parents or congregants would be a mistake. Powerful religious institutions and leaders of faith groups have at best consistently failed, despite the proclamations that child sexual abuse is sinful, to acknowledge the existence of these crimes. At worst, they have tried to protect perpetrators and left victims out in the cold. And this has happened yeah. in numerous times, in just in our culture alone, and, and I know it has in other religious faiths as well. And I've received personally many, many emails from women telling their horror stories of how this same scenario was worked out in their own experience. Unfortunately, too many parents trust their religious leaders with blind devotion, which leaves the children children vulnerable to sexual abuse by those who use religion as a cloak to do their evil. We have another quote from page 214. We might ask, who gives religious leaders the power to protect abusive clergy and other pedophiles? And who gives clergy the power that enables them to abuse? The answer is simple, we do. Whoa. <laughs> now, now the people, of course, that's the people who don't do their homework. People who don't test the doctrine, don't ask questions, who let those abusive people brainwash both the parents and the children, and, and who hold no one accountable. Who, that's the ones who gives the power over the children. Instead of breathing threats of damnation in God's name, terrorizing their children in God's name, parents and leaders need to learn about God's true character as a gentle and, and tender shepherd. For instance... Yeah, from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. 
He gently leads those that have young. Isn't that sweet? Beautiful. I wish I'd known that about God when I was growing up. You didn't up. know that. Uh, oh, no, him, not you? even. And notice in that verse that he carries the young close to his heart. That's the children. Yeah. And then it says he gently leads those that have young. That's the parents. Yeah. And so God really takes care of the families if they'll just pay attention to him. Notice that God's care uh, is for the children. And I think those who abuse children need to be aware of this. And we have a warning from Jesus about that in Matthew. Chapter 18, verses 3 through 7. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to sin. Such things must come, but woe to the man through whom they come. And so Jesus is warning them, be careful how you, you treat these little ones. I wonder what the polygamists think about I don't, the abusers are thinking about that. I don't know. I would like to get in their head sometimes and find out. There's another one in Matthew yeah, 18 as well. On verse 10. See that you do not look down on one of these little ones. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. So he's watching. Yes. And, and he's, he knows what's going on in the lives of these children. His, his warning is clear. God has already clearly um, and repeatedly shown himself to be a God of love. And these abusers who represent him in such evil and painful ways will have to face his justice. Now, the next part of her book is the section entitled Religious Child Medical Neglect. And there's a lot of that going around. This is one aspect of religious child abuse that frequently results in unnecessary death. Mm -hmm. Many religions are guilty of not allowing members proper medical help or even proper diet. The Kingston polygamy group in which I was raised has a definite aversion into seeking professional medical hospital doctor or dental care. Diseases are dealt with by prayer and diet and vaccinations are generally by prayer and diet, but vaccinations are generally avoided. And the Kingston group actually is not the only polygamy group who forbids members proper medical treatment. The Christian science religion teaches that spiritual healing techniques administered by church members are superior to professional medical care. She tells the story of a young couple in the Christian science faith who were parents of a two-year-old boy. And the boy had a bowel construction uh, or obstruction which could easily have been treated if they had just taken him to a doctor. Yet they refused even though he suffered extreme pain and vomiting during his ordeal. The Christian science practitioner just prayed for him and sang hymns and bathed him. We quote from page 217. Sad. His condition <laughs> appeared to be improving, yet at other times he was moaning in pain, vomiting, and listless, and he could not walk on his own. As the hours wore on, Robin suffered excruciating pain. Neighbors later said they shut the windows to block out the toddler's screams. Yet his parents held firm to their Christian science beliefs that spiritual healing practices, not medical treatments, would end their son's agony. Now, this is medical spiritual abuse, but they were wrong. Their two-year-old son died, 
and because of their neglect to get the help he could easily have had, the parents were charged in the death of their son. Some religions allow, even promote the belief that suffering is a virtue and that it's important to suffer in silence. Suffering in silence, that's a good one. Abuse victims are discouraged from feeling anger and instead are told to forgive abusers. Some religious groups deny children educational opportunities, which of course is a protection for the group because knowledge brings change. <laughs> yeah. Then there's the neglect of mental health services where religions will say that healing needs to be done by God rather than by counseling or medication. Although God can heal physical as well as emotional illness, God uses people to help people. Professional medical knowledge should not be dismissed, nor the verse um, where God particularly tells us this. Yeah, these are two verses, First uh, Thessalonians 5.21 and James 1.17. It says, test everything, hold on to the good, and every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So if you test everything, you can test and find out whether it's good to go to a doctor or not. I mean, right. that's not too bad. But then James tells us that God gives us good things. Modern medicine and dentistry is a good gift from our loving God. And all religions should be thankful and accept God's good gift of modern medicine. Another quote we have. Yeah, from page 219. Sometimes the devout deny children even their basic physical needs. As an example, in 1989, a 14-year-old boy in Pennsylvania died of starvation after his father refused to spend the little money the family had on food because he designated it as tithe money that belonged to God. <laughs> and I suppose that made God glad. Oh, I'm sure it's real. <laughs> um, yeah, he needed the money, yeah. This is not authentic Christian response, I'm here to tell you. God does not need our money. Withholding food or anything else just to comply with a greedy religion that misuses tithing passages in the Bible was never God's motive or intention regarding the tithe. And there are faith groups that harm their children through the promotion of strict unhealthy diets. Coming from the Kingston polygamy group, I experienced abuse in that area, in the area of nutrition. And sadly, they use the word of wisdom that Joseph Smith concocted. Then they take it to new and dangerous fanatical levels. There are uncountable causes where children die from treatable conditions, yet treatment is withheld because of a misplaced application of faith. When my little sister was an infant, she had a fever for days and days, and it didn't let up. But they just prayed for healing, and it didn't come. Only when my mother woke up one morning, and her fever was so high she was almost too hot to touch, she finally bundled her up and took her to a doctor. And the doctor had the answer, and if my mother had not finally given in when she did, my little sister would surely have died. And guess what? God was not angry with her <laughs> and did not punish my mother for taking her to get good medical care. We have a quote on this from page 222. A 1998 study that looked up more than 172 child deaths in the United States that were attributable to religiously motivated medical neglect finds that most of the victims <coughs> would likely have survived if they had received timely medical care. 
Experts estimate that hundreds of American children have died in faith healing cases since the 1980s, and that, on average, about a dozen children die each year. And that's a dozen too many when the yeah. medical help is available. When people use the Bible or God or Jesus as an excuse for refusing medical help for themselves or their children, they are once again misinterpreting and misapplying the biblical text. In her book, the author quotes Dr. Arthur Moeller, Jr., who is president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and he said this about the Bible and medical science. Yeah, page 227. The Bible never commands any refusal of legitimate medical treatment, and I'm unspeakably thankful for modern medicine, for antibiotics and anesthesia and chemotherapy and dialysis and diagnostics. The list goes on and on. There is no Christian prohibition against legitimate medical treatment. And that is true. Right. There is none. And polygamy groups who fanatically deny medical treatment based on some twisted Bible text cannot understand a God who loves us and gives us complete freedom to choose to have medical treatment. God loves life. God gave life, and we should respect it and guard it. Many polygamists are afraid that the medical personnel may discover that they're from polygamy group and then report them to the police, but they should know better than that. Unless the patient is a victim of abuse, medical treatment is highly confidential. In 1992, a pregnant woman in the Kingston polygamy group died from complications of her pregnancy. She suffered from toxemia, which is easily treatable. She got worse and worse without treatment until her condition became so advanced, her body swelled, pressure was building inside of her skull, which caused blindness, mm. and one of her sisters finally defied the religion and took her to a hospital, but it was too late. Her baby was saved, but she died. And we have a quote from a news article about this situation. One such union was between Jason Ortel and his half-sister, Andrea Johnson. Andrea became pregnant in 1992 and suffering from preeclampsia, toxemia, was apparently not given medical care until she was close to death. Andrea having, was having seizures and cried out, help me, I can't see. Despite an, an emergency cesarean section which saved the baby, Andrea died, her body swollen beyond recognition. For fear of prosecution for incest was the reason for not getting medical treatment sooner. That's so sad. It they is. break the law and then they fear of being caught in breaking the law causes people to die. And of course she had been secret, a secret polygamist wife of her half-brother. Oh so they were involved with incest. And, and the Kingston group has practiced incest for several years, which of course in itself is abuse and illegal. They name Jesus Christ as head of the Kingston bloodline, which makes it royal blood and super special, they say. So they all marry Kingston brothers or sisters or cousins or uncles or nieces. It doesn't matter as long as they are Kingstons. The author tells story after story of events, some recent, some not so recent, of the tragedy of medical neglect 
in fanatical religious groups, children who have suffered needless agony and pain. Many have died simply because they believe that medical treatment is against God's will, and if God wants to heal them, he will do it without medical help. Her examples come from pseudo-Christian faiths, including the faith healing movement that believes that prayer and faith alone will heal the afflicted person, which is a corrupted use of scripture. And finally, we'd like to mention specific cases of neglect and abuse in the name of God that polygamy group leaders have allowed or kept silent or have themselves been the abuser. Mary Ann Kingston was forced into a polygamous marriage at age 16 to her uncle, David Kingston, who already had 15 wives. She tried to get away several times, but was sent back each time by her mother or her father or, or whomever. But she fled the marriage again. Her father found her and beat her with his belt and she, until she lost consciousness. I think it was like 27 times oh. that he beat her with it uh, because polygamy is commanded by God, they claim. <laughs> Actually, this was in the news when it happened several years ago. And I could spend the whole time talking about stories of abuse in my own family against me and against my siblings. Hmm. I'm going to tell one only. It's very difficult, but it's easier than some of them. Um, I don't know what happened here. Anyway, one, yeah, my, no, I got it back. Okay. Um, it's, a, it's a very heart-rending instance and difficult to talk about, but when my mom um, decided to use a specifically brutal form of punishment on my younger brother. For a solid week, um, kind of like a test case, every time she thought that he had done or said or intended to do something wrong, she would beat the bottom of my younger brother with an iron fireplace shovel, one of those little, oh, you gosh. know, and, and he was about eight or nine years old and I was about 13 or 14. Her purpose was she thought she could whip the sin out of him and whip righteousness into him. Mm. And at the end of the week, then she got, he got beat several times a day, every day for a solid week. The end of the week, she showed me his bottom. I don't know why she chose to do that. But all the blood veins were broken. His entire bottom was red and covered with spiraled, broken, purple and red veins. It was one great, big, ugly bruise. And I can't explain what that did to me to see this. I couldn't grasp why she was so cruel to her own child. Yet none of us children escaped her physical abuse. And when I got into my teenage years, they used that same test on me, only it was my dad who beat me, oh. not my mother. And there are other incidents just as awful or worse and are still very difficult to talk about some of them. Another story of religious physical abuse from the Kingston family, we quote, and this isn't from the book, this is from another source. Yeah, this is a website, I think that'll be on the screen. Mm -hmm. uh, one 13-year-old says her father forced children to eat rotten food he dug out of the garbage and drink spoiled milk. Then he let them throw up and made them drink it. Arrest my dad and have him be in jail forever or else do to him what he's done to us, said the girl. She called police when Kingston allegedly threatened them for piercing their ears. He says, we believe we should keep our bodies complete 
If the Lord wanted us to have holes in our ears, he would have put them there. <laughs> <laughs> right. We've heard something like that before. Some little girls who were placed in foster care from a Kingston family said that their father told them that no one can put their hands between their legs except God. So we wonder just who is this God that gets to put his hands between the legs of these little girls? Mm. And they were just girls, you know, six, seven years old. From a, a, a book entitled Keep Sweet, written by former member of the Canadian sect of the FLDS, we quote from a sermon which tells us clearly how they think of females. You fathers and mothers must teach your daughters and sons that they do not belong to you. The only right a father has from the second his daughter is born is to teach her that she belongs only to the prophet and the man the prophet will give her to. Write this in your little books, write this on your brains, and teach your daughters. They must be willing to enter into the kingdom of their husband the same way they entered this earth from the Lord, naked. I say this in the name of the Father and of his Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Ghost. And See, they say it in the name of God. Yeah. They say things like this in the name of God. They do the abuse in the name of God. And, and, and what does that do to the child? We talked about that last time, uh, you, you know, and it just it, it poisons the child as they grow older, certainly against God. It's blasphemy to heap this kind of garbage into the lap of our holy and loving God. And with teachings like that, it's no wonder there's so much sexual abuse in these groups and under the umbrella and the pressure of that religion. it puts on fathers and mothers. I mean, they have to obey their leaders or yes. else they, they get excommunicated or something and they're being taught to, that you don't own your own children. That's right. Yeah, they belong to the prophet. They belong to, especially in the FLDS, they belong to the prophet yeah. and they have to sign their children away. I think we talked about this last time too, to, um, to the prophet, they're told. They're told. And that's why Warren Jeffs can get by with sending families away and reassigning families and children to different fathers because and mothers. Because they all belong to him. Because they belong to the prophet. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> it, it is crazy. And, and this culture, especially the Mormon culture and the yeah. polygamous culture, um, is big in, in the kinds of discipline or abuse or sexual abuse. And we're going to talk more about that in, on our next show. Um, on in the name of God. I'm sorry you had to go through that as an 18 year old. What 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 a terrible experience to see your poor little brother. It was, and he was just. What home. happened to yeah. him eventually? He he had rheumatic fever, and he had just actually gone home from one of the stays in the hospital. He died when he was 17. Oh no! From the rheumatic fever, yeah. Oh yeah. boy. So. But they are afraid of being exposed to they the are, medical treatment. And, I don't think they are so much as they used to be, but yes, they. So. I think they're still, especially when there's incest involved yeah, sure. uh, and illegal marriages, marriages and yeah. young marriage, you know, child brides and all that. Yeah. So we're going to do it again, uh, part number four from the book next time. Yeah, sure. Uh, Jesus said that everyone on the side of truth listens to him. And we pray that those, especially those who embrace any form of Mormonism, who see or listen to our program, will put aside their preconceived ideas and just take up the Bible and read what Jesus had to say about the things that we discuss. Those who want to be on the side of truth will pay attention to Jesus' words. And they will discover that much of what they teach or have been taught is against what Jesus taught. 
where we go after we die is a big deal in Mormonism, and it should be a big deal. But in Mormonism, heaven is taught and believed so much differently than what Jesus taught and what we should believe, because marriage and polygamy and families and becoming like God have nothing to do with eternity. All we need is Jesus because he did for us all we need to get there. Thank you for watching. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.